You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Well, welcome to uh, everyone to this uh, episode of The Zeitgeist. Uh, we are here to talk uh, about German politics and, in particular, how we can interpret a couple of elections that have happened just recently. And I'm joined, uh, as always, when we have uh, this topic by AICGS Senior Fellow and Director of our Society, Culture, and Politics program, Eric Langenbacher. And we are also joined uh, by uh, AICGS non-resident uh, senior fellow, Klaus-Dieter Frankenberger, um, who was uh, in the past, for many years, a uh, journalist with the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. Um, and so we're going to talk this through. And I want to turn to you first, Eric, for, to give us the headline. Sure, no problem. Well, the biggest headline is that there was an important election last Sunday in the largest state by population, North Rhine-Westphalia, which many people always refer to as a mini Bundestag election, like a mini national election, because it's just uh, so big. And then we'll also talk a little later about the um, election from a little previously uh, in the northern state of Schleswig-Holstein. But North Rhine-Westphalia is the, is the biggie. And when it comes to headlines, I was just uh, remarking that, you know, it's hard to know what the most important headline is because there was a lot going on in this election. But first for the results. So the CDU came in first, that's the Christian Democratic Union with 35.7% uh, of the vote, followed by the Social Democrats at 26.7, the Greens at 18.2, the FDP at 5.9, and the AFD, the Alternative for Germany at 5.4. Uh, the left party only got 2.1% of the vote which is continuing its trend, but I think they're uh, not worthy of too much commentary uh, in this day and age. But in terms of the headlines, I mean, yeah, the CDU did better than last time, almost 3% better than the election in 2017. So one headline is triumph of the CDU. However, their coalition partner for the last five years, the Free Democrats, the Market Liberal Party, did really, really poorly with only 5.9% of the vote nearly a seven point difference from 2017. So one headline is that voters voted out the incumbent government. It's also been pointed out the SPD had their worst result in North Rhine-Westphalia, which used to be one of their kind of red bastions, one of the kind of core um, uh, electorates, that they had their worst results since, I think I read 1947 or something like that, losing nearly 5% of the vote. So the weakness of the SPD is also one of the potential headlines. And then thirdly, there is this unprecedented result from the Green Party, their best result ever in the state at 18.2% of the vote. That's a nearly 12% increase from what they scored back in 2017. And then the final most important headline, I think, is the uh, participation rate. They had a, an abysmally low 55% participation rate, uh, down 10 points from the last election. And, you know, that's also one of the headlines. Where did all these voters go? And why did they decide to stand this one out? So I don't know. There's a lot to interpret in this election result with obvious ramifications on the national level as well. So uh, with that, Klaus, I'm going to turn to you. Which of those headlines do you think is the most compelling or the most, uh, the most pertinent? All are valid all are good ones um i would start with saying 
or CDU incumbent returned um, with a good result. It was uh, expected that we see a neck-to-neck -neck race. This has not been the case. And of course, as Eric mentioned, uh, the Greens had another good Sunday. They had a good Sunday in the northern state of Schleswig-Holstein. Now they had a good or uh, a very good result, uh, best ever in North Rhine-Westphalia. Or let's not forget, uh, North Rhine-Westphalia is a heart chamber of the Social Democrats. That's old school Social Democrats, blue collar, or in parts of the state in the Ruhr Valley, are traditionalist or or conservative in terms of culture or uh, liberal in the in the in the US sense in terms of uh, welfare and so forth are uh, and it tells you about the ascent of the greens they're showing which is a secular trend it tells you about the demographic and structural changes in the in the state um, and it has implications for the state and of course for the national level are the two most popular politicians at the moment in the country are on the national level are are the foreign minister Annalena Baerbock and the economics minister um, Habeck are the rest is are well I would say somewhere in, in the bushes uh, and this is includes the chancellor Olaf Scholz um, there's one Thing which I would also like to mention, um, out of three uh, parties that formed the the UMPL, the traffic light coalition in Berlin, two did badly, and the two did badly not just in Nordrhein-Westfalen, the two did badly in Schleswig-Holstein, uh, or two weeks before. Yeah, uh, the one that does badly the most and consistently throughout this this voting season is the FDP the German liberals. They did badly in the Saarland. Remember when we talked about the Saarland election a few weeks ago, they are, have not remade it into the le state legislature. They are will be definitely out of, out of, uh, out of government in Schleswig-Holstein, and they are no longer the, the church partner of the CDU in Düsseldorf, the state capital of Nordrhein-Westfalen. And this has, of course, ramifications how they govern in Berlin. If one is uh, the Bill star that has obviously done the right, has gotten the right personnel and, and they stride world politics, that's what they do, stride the world with, with big approval in the country and the rest is our... Uh, has a bad spring, so to speak. They have a bad spring, and this is true. Yeah. Um, it will affect the, the internal dynamics. It will affect the way they watch each other. And it has, of course, an effect on, we have not mentioned his name yet, the CDU opposition leader, Friedrich Merz, because he can say, well, folks, we did not uh, keep the Saarland, but the Saarland, let's let's be honest, the county size state are but we won rather big in Schleswig-Holstein and we did well in Nordrhein-Westfalen. My course is vindicated or I'm the new leader and I will pull the party out of the doldrums. And a surprise, surprise, when Schultz this morning, oh, we talk uh, on, on May 19, this morning gave in the Bundestag his policy statement, he was attacked almost brutally by Friedrich Merz, the opposition leader. Why? Because he has smelled blood. Yeah. He has smelled blood 
the chancellor seems to has been has been taken to the woodshed, yeah. as, as you would say. So let's let's dwell at the national level for uh, for an, another minute or two because I think, you know, it, trying to disentangle the national trends from the results in a state is always you know there's more art uh, than science to it I think uh, Eric you can correct me if there's if you can find some science in it uh, the but the 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 thing that strikes me is as you said the two most popular politicians in Germany are the the two prominent green members of the government and uh, and of course. Uh, so, can you say then that that this vote, especially in North Rhine-Westphalia, but also in Schleswig-Holstein, reflects an endorsement of the clear and and tough foreign policy line that the Greens have been staking out? Is this to uh, me or to Eric? Well, either either one of you. So, my gut is telling me that no, it doesn't have that much to do with foreign policy. I mean, it obviously has something to do with foreign policy, but I think that there's a variety of other kind of factors going on as well. You know, the more that I think about the uh, Bundestag results uh, last September, the more that I think that it really was an anomalous kind of result because it went it went against the kind of structural polling trends that we had seen across the country for many years. And so it's interesting if you look at the polls now, I just saw a poll from Forza two days ago that has the CDU consistently ahead of the other parties, but now the SPD and the Greens are tied again at 20 or 22% um, support each. So I don't know. I, I think that the reasons that Germans had been moving towards the Greens in the years before the 2021 campaign are now kind of reasserting themselves. And part of it has to do with a values-based foreign policy, also with much more of a backbone than anybody ever expected a Green foreign minister or economic minister to actually have. But a lot of it has to do with this, with the with the Greens profile when it comes to the energy transition and moving towards carbon neutrality. And I think that what's interesting, and, and it's maybe not what I would have expected, especially observing everything from the United States, where I thought that, you know, the energy transition would be put on the back burner and people would be focused on, well, how do we get our natural gas and oil now that, you know, the Russian supply is 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 limited or is is gone. But instead, I think the Germans are like, nope, we're gonna we're gonna speed up this uh, transition to a carbon neutral economy, and I think the Greens are benefiting because of that. Yeah, I think Eric has a, has raised a very good point uh, that the Bundestagswahl in September was kind of an aberration or an accident, uh, and this has basically has basically to do with the self destruction at this point at, or at that point of the CDU. With you know the, the wrong candidate, the uh, the wrong message, bad campaigning, or lackluster performance on all fronts, and so they get they get a message. While the SPD didn't do anything, just pretending that Charles is the heir apparent and and the the illegitimate son of Angela Merkel. Um, so and and he you know I've been with her and I studied her and you know can trust me and it worked well. And the Greens were the winner. At the time, too, they didn't win as much as they expected in the polls. And here we now know we, we reconnect with the status quante, so to speak, of the Bundestagswahl. Uh, people at, in September, August, you know, when they made up their, their mind, they asked themselves, will Annalena Baerbock, who is uh, Baerbock, who is now the, the foreign minister, is she actually in the chancellor class? Now, does he have the credibility, the credentials to be the, the, the successor 
um, of our longtime Chancellor Angela Merkel. And some were curious that maybe a lot of them were not. This probably would have would not be the case now. They have seen her, seen her uh, saying, well, uh, being in Moscow, being in Kiev, and basically seeing the right things. And there's one point when, when Eric spoke about foreign policy, they were not involved in, in the so-called Ruslan connection uh, of both SPD, predominantly SPD, but some also in the city, you know, the, the Putin for Steyer, the, the, the Pizniks, or those with commercial ties, the lobbyism. Um, as we speak, I just learned, or maybe an hour ago, uh, that the former Chancellor Schroeder was deprived of his office in the Bundestag, deprived of his uh, assistance, deprived of, of, of money that is directed to discharging functions of a former chancellor. This is unbelievable. So, and they are not tarnished with anything of this. They are co relatively consistent in their very critical anti-Putin course. They, they seem to be vindicated, so they don't have baggage with it. And now comes the big thing. Now come the big questions a lot of Germans have asked themselves, and which is no longer a question question for intellectuals to look at. If this, if a black-green coalition government, let's say in Northern Rhine, or in Schleswig-Holstein, like in my home state of Hesse or in Baden-Württemberg, if this are the arrangement that would eventually master the big challenge of trans transforming the country ecologically or economically and, and socially. And to me, it looks more and more the case that a lot of, lot of Germans exactly want this combination, at least on the state level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we've uh, we've talked now about the Greens and uh, also mentioned the national leaders of the CDU, Friedrich Merz, and of course, uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Um, so let's, uh, let's dwell on that for a moment. Um, is, are these victories for the CDU in Schleswig-Holstein and in North Rhine-Westphalia, um, victories that one can really attribute to the national leader, Friedrich Merz. Um, you could, I, I can see how you might argue this in either direction, because in Schleswig-Holstein, for example, Daniel Günther, the sitting minister president, um, is is much more of a centrist figure um, uh, than than Merz. Uh, and, and when you look at North Rhine-Westphalia, um, it's the home state of Friedrich Merz um, and the minister president, uh, Hendrik Wust, uh, newly in office, cruised to a re-election. So uh, where do you see uh, the, the uh, credit um, going uh, for, for these victories? And then we're going to ask the same thing about Olaf Scholz uh, and the SPD's poor performance in both places. I think it has more to do with local factors than with national factors, to be completely honest. But there's one thing that Merz has done, I think, at least superficially, is that he has conveyed the message that the party is um, finally at peace with itself again, right? I mean, the narrative about the CDU going back years when we knew that Merkel was going to uh, step down was, well, is it going to go in a more centrist, Merkelian course, or is it going to like tack to the right? And we know the pretty vicious divisions at times between these, these various camps. And if there's one thing, at least that I've observed, is that Merit seems to have conveyed this impression that the party is, is not as fragmented and fractured as it was before. So, you know, at a minimum, uh, you know, do no harm. 
And it, it, it seems like he's he's kind of uh, done that. But, you know, looking at the national election polls again, right? I mean, the CDU is up two, three points under Meritz's leadership compared to the last bonus tag election. So, you know, that's not a heck of a big bump, to be completely honest. And so, I don't know, we, we definitely will have to wait and see if, you know, he'll have this this uh, power to get them back to um, the chancellorship. Uh, Meritz was gracious enough to to give the, the victory benefit to, to the, the local contenders. On the one hand, everybody else said, well, we won, guys. What do you want? We won. <laughs> we won. We won in Schleswig-Holstein big time, 43.4%, almost unheard of. These are the glorious days, back to the glorious days of the old Federal Republic. Uh, and we came out of Nordland was, fa was failure. Very good in a pretty good state. In a, in a pretty good fashion, nobody had thought this, and and he will take this uh, as as evidence that under his leadership, the party got its uh, has found its stride, got its act together, and on a more or less, um, as you said, uh, Eric Merkel Merkel chorus, somewhat centrist, are not rough at the edges, not at all, but you know providing the leadership, the maturity, and 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 in his terms, and, and the competence that is needed in this in this day time of trial. Um, it is interesting for me to see that the greatest praise that has been showered on on Baerbock and on Harbeck comes from Friedrich Merz. He said, greatest super performance, no no mistakes. Well, this is of course tactical. Uh, it may come with a grain of salt, but still, it's interesting. I mean, they are preparing, they're laying the groundwork are here for arrangements, not just in, in the big power state or, or the power state of um, the highly dynamic state of uh, um, Baden-Württemberg, now in Nordrhein-Westfalen, in my state, Hesse, but also on the national level. And people seem to okay, say, okay, let me say one thing, or which also could be a headline, the irrelevance of the extremist parties. Yeah. Totally irrelevant. The left is out in in the Saarland. It's it's uh, it's big big or uh, where it had been our quite the, it's our, their home stake. The left out in Schleswig-Holstein, bad showing again. Out in in um, northern Westphalia, the AfD is not in the parliament in the state legislature. Later in the north, it done has done badly in the Saarland again lost in northern Westphalia, and you know you have by now a pretty big center mm -hmm. re-establish itself not just by one party form not just by one or two parties but by four but they seem to be pretty solid yeah 80 plus percent and the extremes irrelevant the left totally irrelevant the we talk about of course the western part of the country and the and the rfd the hard right are right-wing populist group are at very, very struggling to get beyond the threshold of 5%, which would yeah. allow you to get into parliament. So, uh, so, so uh, Klaus, let's just, uh, I want to stick with, uh, I want to come back to Olaf Scholz, actually. Um, and what is the lesson for Olaf Scholz from these past two weeks in German politics? Is it that, uh, you know, if as uh, has been suggested in this conversation, both by, by you and by Eric, that, there, that the 
Bundestag election last fall was in some ways an aberration, and uh, Schultz extracted the most possible value that uh, that he could, uh, and was victorious through the failures of his opponents to a significant degree. Um, what does that mean for for his leadership and the direction he needs to bring uh, at the national level? Uh, in order not only to have an effective chancellorship, but also to benefit his his party as you look ahead to the next uh, the next period, months and years. Well, Jeff, I'd be making a lot more money than I'm making now if I had the you know answer to all of Schultz's woes. I personally think you know there was one headline that I read somewhere uh, referring to him as the incredibly shrinking chancellor, and I mean that was back. I think even before the, uh, you know, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, but I feel like he hasn't learned any lessons and like his, at least to an external observer like myself, I just don't think that he has the kind of visibility and, and presence uh, that, that he needs to, to effectively get over this rough, rough patch. He also needs to get his ministers in order as well, right? The health minister has been deeply criticized. The defense minister has been uh, deeply criticized. So I, I don't know. It, it, it's time to, I don't know, have a stern talking to to everybody and just to try to kind of right the ship. But, you know, maybe he already sees the writing on the wall. Maybe he also interpreted the Bundestag election result the way that we are here and is just going to try to, you know, stick it out for his four years and eh, see what happens after all that. I can't help but play a little bit of what ifing for a second, I can't help but ask, you know, what if Habeck was the chancellor candidate instead of Baerbock for the Greens? And what if Suda was the chancellor candidate instead of Laschet? We might be in a very, very different kind of position right now. But I don't know. I, I wish I had the, the answer, but I don't. My, my gut feeling, Eric, is the same as yours. If they had uh, fielded our, uh, at, the, at the candidate for the chancellorship, uh, Habeck, the Greens would have ended up at around 20%. This would my gut, is my gut feeling. Söder is a little bit difficult. He has some character issues, are, are something which is not unfamiliar to you on your side of the pond. Uh, I would say you mentioned, you said the word visibility, and this is the key point. I mean, Schultz had this moment de gloire uh, at our February 27, when he gave the Zeitenwende uh, speech, the big speech in the Bundestag on a Sunday uh, after the, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, in which he outlined our, what we did wrong. We, Germany, did wrong in the past in terms of the foreign security policy and the kind of and, and, uh, explaining to the public the, the measures he wanted to do. This was his big moment. Ever since, well, he was uh, bad on communica communicating what to do actually in practice. He was not visible. He was not in, well, Olaf Scholz is Olaf Scholz. I mean, he is not our, our uh, firebrand orator. Uh, we know that. And this is actually not too much cherished in my country. Um, but still, he had not been visible enough yet, didn't communicate well enough. And the ones who were visible almost all the time and did not receive too much criticism, mostly praise, were the two green leading politicians. The little bit of the FDP, FDP um, Lentner, but not too much. The rest of the, the FDP team almost not visible at all. And then you mentioned the ones who received and deserved to be criticized. 
the the health mm-hmm. minister, the defense minister. Defense is now the big issue, the big portfolio. And it, uh, at the top of this our ministry, or this department, you had someone who really thought it might be a good idea just days before the Russian invasion. And we had been seeing the Russian build up for weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, that to send 5,000 helmets to the Ukraine was a good idea. And anyways, better than, I mean, it, it's a laughing stock. Uh, so he could be coming sooner than later to a position where we, he would be, what would be politically uh, wise to replace some of his cabinet uh, mm-hmm. appointees. So a possible cabinet shakeup. Um, could be coming, which of course would then uh, dramatize are in the media, well, crisis in Berlin, crisis in government, or the scalps are out, there's blood on the streets of Berlin, and so forth, you know. Uh, at the, again, at a time when unity and coherence is, is as precious as anything else mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in one of the major European countries that is facing a big challenge in the East. So he may he may handle this careful, but our his local lieutenants and in not on his phone said, well, we actually we talked too much about the Ukraine. We talked much too little about inflation and high cost of living and uh, 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 you know skyrocketing energy prices. Yeah. It's not again not unfamiliar to your side of the debate. Well, that's uh, that's that's uh, that that's for sure. So if you know, you've mentioned, and I agree with you, that the ability of the green leadership in the government to to strike almost an instinctive and prominent public profile during the crisis generated by the invasion of Ukraine has been really um, remarkable. Uh, it's also been, in some ways, I don't want to say easy, because it's not a situation that's easy for anyone, but it has it provided a platform in which the greens could present um it basically as an indi- a vindication of the views they had uh, advanced for many years uh, the greens can stand up easily and say we have always been opposed to Nord Stream 2 um, we have been critical of Russia's direction under Putin so the circumstances lent themselves extremely well for the, for the Greens taking this prominence. In the case uh, for Chancellor Schultz, it's it's not quite so simple, um, not because of him personally, but just because the Social Democrats have been in government for 12 of the last 16 years, uh, albeit as a junior partner, and the Social Democrats have the, the most prominent collection inside German mainstream politics of people who have advocated a, uh, a line of engagement toward, uh, toward Moscow. So is more communication the solution? Um, is it really about the handicraft of politics, or is it really, in, if you're thinking about how the Social Democrats and Schultz would salvage their public reputation, does it go a bit deeper than that? It, it certainly goes deeper, uh, Jeff, but at the moment you're just operate on crisis mode we you go from here to next month to 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 the to the fall and see how you handle a are a bad bad situation in 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 ukraine from exploding 
from I mean this literally in all our faces, and then they go and do the deep in, deep search inside themselves. I mean, they most of the um, of the SPD top top figures you have in mind probably have already caught out in front of uh, themselves, in front of others and saying we were wrong we were hoping this uh, this would be good uh with, with with putin and others and but they're all in retreat now and, and also is our uh, the big pullout of our major commercial interest from russia and most of them will not return most of them will not return or during the days of vladimir putin or if a kind of Put putinesque regime is replacing the, the, the current one. They will stay out. I mean, we have, and by the way, also, the CDU has, has to do some, soul, or, or the CSU has to do some soul searching. Do not forget that the, that the, the person, the gentleman you mentioned, Söder, as, a, as someone who could have uh, turned things around uh, in September when we had the, 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 the national election, well, in an interview to our Sunday paper, one or two weeks before the invasion said, well, actually, Putin is not an enemy of Europe. Now, a lot of people were at least blindsided, blinded by their, by their will to cooperate, to be nice, by, their, by, the, by commercial interest, by regional interest, by a general structure. I mean, the federal president, Steinmeier, said it all too well. We did a bad mistake. We erred. Probably it's deeper than just we made an error. This was structurally embedded in our foreign security policy. But we will look at this later on. I'm absolutely sure. Commissions in the Bundestag, soul searching, and all the parties. When did we really? Um, why did we misread the signals? Why did we go along with Nord Stream 2 after the annexation of the Crimea and the invasion of the Donbass and all the rest? And why did, did the business community say, ah, oh, well, Crimea, so what? That's Russia anyhow. Yeah. And how, now we have a, a war, the, the brutality of, of which and, 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 and the, 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 the total... Uh, I should say almost annihilation of civilization in these. The Zivilisationsbruch is something which really is so sobering to us. I cannot uh, exaggerate how uh, how sobering it is for the German um, policy elite, but also for the public. So we have a government that will be in crisis mode um, for the foreseeable future, um, uh, driven, of course, by by events. We've talked about the possibility of, of a course correction or maybe a, a, a shakeup within the government uh, to try to uh, restore uh, a sense of, of control and, uh, and political direction from the top. Um, we have uh, looming out there a few months down the road uh, uh, the last state election uh, of the year in Germany, which will be uh, in, in the state of uh, Lower Saxony, Niedersachsen. Um, any, anything that, uh, that you think is going to stand out in particular as we look ahead, Eric, uh, and then we'll, we'll bring, uh, bring this episode to, to, to a conclusion. I mean, I'm sure Schultz is um, quite relieved that there's only one more regional election. Um, you know, I, I can't help but think that maybe we're being a little bit too pessimistic towards Schultz and the SPD all of a sudden. I mean, their result in North Rhine-Westphalia was a disappointment, you know, minus 4.5%, but it wasn't a collapse. And, um, you know, they're the incumbent government. There's high inflation. You know, a lot of people were starting to draw parallels to 1999 
So the year after the last time that the SPD took over the, the chancellorship and where the CDU came back really strong. And, you know, I, I, I don't see a, too much of a parallel with that, to be completely honest. So maybe the situation isn't as dire as as we think for the SPD. I do think to get back to some of the other points that were just mentioned, that they have to continue this process of self-examination and, you know, let's say coming to terms with their past, right? They have some Vergangenheitsbewältigung to do. So for instance, <laughs> there still is this shady foundation in uh, Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, which the SPD minister president is closely involved with that's related to Nord Stream 2. They got to do something about that. I know that I think there's an investigative committee in the state parliament that's exactly. going to look into that, yeah. but they have to come to terms with that. They have to continue to come to terms with Schröder. They have to continue to come to terms with their policy statements of six months ago, let alone six years or 60 years ago, for that matter. I think that if the SPD continues on that course, if they honestly reevaluate and show that they have you know, seeing the new reality, then, you know, they might, they might be on, on a path to that kind of course correction. I, I agree. And, but I also would say, um, um, I put my money, if I had to bet more on the greens and of the Tadio's ability to really are, you know, get their act together and perform in a good fashion. I'm not sure if Friedrich Merritt's is the darling of most Germans, particular female voters, but he will bring the CDU back into thirty percent range. Mm -hmm. That's I'm convinced. Our and the and the and the Greens will go beyond the twenty percent uh, line. Uh, this for a lot of reasons, and the blame will ultimately rest with the with the chef. <laughs> the buck rests with the chancellor. Yep. Um, and with the luck they had when the when the occupied and entered the chancellery, they may sooner be out than they thought. And actually, I thought I thought this would be a, a, a two term uh, regime at, uh, being then the regime at last. Uh, I'm not so sure this is going to happen. Inflation is high. You know, this is a very delicate issues. People are at the moment still not really up in arms about the gasoline, the, the gasoline prices, the benzene costing. Uh, they I take it, they drive slow, slower. I drive slower, <laughs> though they do the right thing. Uh, they basically appreciate and accept uh, the the Ukraine pol policy, the stance on Ukraine, including arms deliveries, how long this will take, how long and how deep this consensus will go, we will see. Our, in Lower Saxony, the SPD is going to have a hard time because Lower Saxony... And we will learn more about the involvement of, you know, lobbyists and all that in in really tying the SPD to, to this, let me say, it, or with a little bit of exaggeration, pro-Russia course in, in the past. This is the ultimate locus of, you know, Putin for stay or two. Mm -hmm. And some, in, in the fall, people will not take this lightly anymore. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, we've got plenty mapped out then for the coming uh, coming weeks and months uh, for us to to follow, uh, for uh, for us to uh, pro- project and uh, and focus on not only here in the in the zeitgeist uh, but more generally. And we look forward to doing that. Thank you so much, uh, Klaus Dieter Frankenberger, for being with us uh, today. Uh, Eric Langenbacher, as always, um, and thanks to all of our listeners out there. Uh, we look forward to being with you again soon on the next episode of the Zeitgeist. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.